connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. What is AOC? What is community media? Maybe these are small questions, but they have big answers. So big, in fact, that we had to make a whole podcast about just that. The short answer is in our mission statement. Building an informed and engaged community through media, technology, and education. I'm Matt Roberts. Learn more about AOC member Stephen Boulay and his near-death experience while he was in Hawaii during this podcast episode of Community Quotes. Join AOC for as little as $35 a year to have access to high-quality cameras, audio, podcasts, and editing booths, production equipment, educational workshops, and much more. AOC Community Media has evolved into a true media center focused on building an informed and engaged community through media, technology, and education. For more information about becoming an AOC member, visit our website at aocinc.org. So first question, any good journalist question, can you say and spell your name for us? My, my full name? Yeah. Or, my name is Stephen Michael Boulay II, uh, spelled S-T-E-V-E-N-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-O-U-L-E-T, and the two Roman numeral signs. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you for that. Um, where did you grow up, Steve? I actually grew up south of Crowley in around a little area called Lines Point, which is not actually a city just sort of an area in the middle of nowhere. Is that, that the back of Karen Crow? I've heard the back of Karen Crow. You mean Kaplan. That's Kaplan. Uh, yeah, no, not even as big as Karen Crow. It's actually in between Crowley and Kaplan. Okay. Um, I don't even, I don't really feel like I grew up in any city. You know, okay. I grew up near cities. You know, I grew up near Crowley, but there were crawfish ponds in the front of the house on the sides and across the road. So it was about as, as rural as you can get uh, around here. Does your family uh, work out there? So my grandfather, both my grandfathers were, were into farming. However, uh, my mom's grandfather was more like an actual farmer. And my dad's, my mom's mom, my mom's dad was more of like an actual farmer. My dad's dad was sort of in the business of farming. And so he had uh, John Deere tractor dealerships and, and he was into the business of it. Um, so we grew up kind of near their area, near their territory. Uh, right down the road from where my dad grew up, so I was I was sort of, you know, one side of the family was was 
very in, into farming. You know, they still do it. The other side of the family, it was kind of the remnants of it because they had just been in the business of it, had owned land, but I think other people had farmed it for him, and he had been more of uh, the CEO of Boule Farms instead of you know, an actual farmer. Uh, and he had branched out in a lot of different things. Uh, where do you fall on the farming spectrum somewhere? Or so I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wholesale crawfish professionally right now. That's where 99% of my income comes from. So I, I guess that's, that's farming, you know, although I don't farm any crawfish myself. Uh, I just wholesale. So I, I manage accounts and then worry about supply and then just try to make sure I never have more than I can sell and always have enough to keep everybody happy. Uh, just balance those two things. Well, so uh, what was it like? Uh, did you do a lot of farming when you were growing up? Or what was it like growing up where you grew up? I spent some time in the boats with uh, my mom's dad, you know, the grandfather on that side, in a crawfish boat a handful of times. Uh, and, and, you know, we were always around farming. Like I said, there's crawfish ponds, you know, on every side. I can remember it flooding and then the ditch dug around our property, you know, being filled with them and catching them one by one. <laughs> Uh, and then having mom, you know, on the stovetop kind of make me a half a pound crawfish boil with the ones I had caught. And I can remember, you know, walking through those muddy fields and like le- le- legit worried we were going to get stuck, you know, went, went down to our knees as kids. Um, but my, my father, you know, was not a farmer. Uh, he was in sales. And so that was the more immediate, you know, thing that I saw. And it was, I understood on the periphery that his dad had been into farming in some kind of vague way. And then it was also understood in the periphery that my mom's dad, that side of the family, they still did very actively farm. Um, and her brothers, you know, uh, her brother farms. Um, and so they were still in that business very much. But, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, in too much. What would be, uh, maybe a surprising thing about growing up where you grew up that maybe people would be surprised by? Man, surprised by. It's so hard. To, that's so hard to answer, <laughs> isn't it? Because uh, from my perspective, everything was, was perfectly normal. Um, I, had, uh, I threw a statement out one time talking to some friends that they kind of laughed at, and they have lived in much more places than me. But I thought that surely more than half of the people in the United States have uh, like obtained their own food and then like cleaned it and cooked it and eaten it. And they thought that that's, that's really, that's, that's a very small percentage of people. And so for me, I thought everybody, you know, as a kid, you know, um, even if you didn't kill it, like we would pluck the duck that my dad killed and, and, or or we would go fishing, you know, but we would obtain food somehow. Um, and there was no one, I feel like I don't know anyone who didn't obtain food somehow. Uh, but maybe looking back on it, you know, it was these people's first experience when they came with me and, there's apparently not a, a lot of people who still haven't done that. Um, Do you feel like that makes your outlook on the world slightly different? Oh, yeah. Everyone should have to go get their own food. It's way too easy to get food. That's the number one problem, I feel like, with the whole world uh, is it's too easy to get food. Um, I think it, it, it grounds you in a lot of ways and kind of reminds you, like, this is the reality of life. Um, everything else that can seem so important and can seem literally life or death, it is not life or death. You know, life or death is, is eating or not eating. Um, life or death is shelter. Life or death is water. And I think that I love, you know, the society we're in and I love Wi-Fi and I love YouTube. Uh, but when you forget where you came from, you kind of don't know where you're going and you can't appreciate it. And taking a lot of this awesome stuff for granted, uh, I think is probably the root cause of a lot of the ills of the world.
Do you do a lot of hunting as well? I, I don't do a ton of hunting, but, you know, I try to get out at least once a year. I've been able to get out at least once a year for the last three or four years. Um, and it's, uh, it's not, it's, it's something I feel like I wish I had more time for and I wish I would make more time for it. Um, but it's, it's, it's more important, I think, just that it stays, uh, not in my periphery, like that, that stays a reality. Um, more than that, you know, I need to make that, like long-term goals that I've kind of set, one of them would be to be only eating, you know, game meat that I've gone out and obtained myself, right? But for now, it's 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 not that's not a necessity right that comes secondary to other goals but staying staying connected is uh is primary is a primary goal so at least once a year that's cool yeah that's awesome that's i think that's a good philosophy too grounded philosophy yeah. like that. <laughs> thanks <clears throat> um did you uh did you go to college uh, i went to college i went to magnese um for three and a half years I got uh, one semester away from graduating in business marketing and then just kind of, you know, started, I started to feel like, um, are you aware of the sunk cost fallacy? No. So the sunk cost fallacy, and I'm probably going to butcher this, right? Normally you just look something up and like tell you exactly what it is, but, uh, it, 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 it goes something like, um, your, the decisions you're making in the future are kind of uh, based on this concept that I've already invested, you know, all this time into this thing. I've already invested all this money into this thing. Um, and I can only get it back if I continue to invest money and time into it. And then, you know, maybe it'll pay off. And started to realize, you know, this degree, right, that I'm, that I'm pursuing, right, it's not going to benefit me. It's not going to benefit my life. I'm not going to do a job that requires this business marketing degree. I don't even like business marketing. You know, I had some aptitude for sales. And I had some real success in various sales jobs. So I thought that business marketing was the closest thing to sales, but, but it's really not. And there's a lot more focus on, it seems like demographics and uh, looking at people more as numbers in the environment that I thrived in was talking with someone one-on-one, -on -one, you know, with a customer and being able to be charismatic and, and being able to sell a product that I'm passionate about, you know, and then I'm just talking about it. And it came very naturally and intuitively. Uh, and so, like I said, then I realized that, oh, this isn't related to that. <laughs> And I've invested all this time and money into it. And so do I want to continue to invest more time and money into this thing just to have this piece of paper that I'm not really going to value? Um, I'm sure my parents would value it. Other people would value it. Uh, and sure there's a stigma attached with being a college dropout. Um, but it, it kind of came down to, no, I don't, I don't want, I don't care. I don't care about any of that. Um, I would rather keep the money and time and, and put it towards something else. And around that same time in my life, I had started wholesaling crawfish, right? I had been uh, able to, through uh, opportunities given me by my father, build up a business. And um, it was making plenty of money, you know, to the point that I realized if I have to do something just for money, you know, this is, this is, this is plenty fine. This is plenty of money. It's fair compensation for my time. I don't hate it. You know, even if it's not necessarily an inherent passion. So, all right, that's covered. And that's kind of what that college degree is. It seems like it's just that backup for a lot of people. Or for me in this situation, that's all it would have been. And then, you know, I started to think about it more. And I realized I don't, you know, I have I have a skills. I have a skill set. I can sell things. Um, so if I need a job for money and I can't do this job for some reason, I can't sell crawfish anymore, I can sell something else. I can probably sell whatever anyone needs sold. Um 
And so, you know, I didn't go to trade school for sales. I just took a lot of sales jobs and uh, naturally throughout the course of my life, um, I just had these opportunities, you know, whether it was working for my uncle uh, at his like seasoning booth at these trade shows or, uh, you know, selling knives for Cutco. And I've just been exposed to these jobs and these opportunities and, and kind of soaked up those skills. And so, all right, there's my backup, you know. So I got my backup. Uh, I got this job currently that, you know, more than pays the bills. It, it makes me all the money that I need to. It's like, okay, so what what is this marketing degree going to do for me? <laughs> so, it, it like like you said, it sounds like you got the backup. You got the steady <laughs> income now. Yeah. Uh, what is the passion project? What's the... Uh... Um, so, it had been, uh, up until recently, uh, I, I, around 15 or 16, got real interested in being able to change my body just through... Uh, force of will and the food that went into it, you know, and I don't remember when it was, but there was this real light switch moment, right? Light bulb moment, whatever. And uh, it was this realization that at any given time, like the way that my body was, the way that it looked, the way that it felt, like all of those things were, were decisions that I was making and that like what I was eating and the activity that I was doing directly translated into like the quality of what I felt in the quantity of body, you know, that I had. And then from there, I just started to tweak things. You know, what happens if I eat more of this and less of that or less of this and more of that? You know, what if I train this way instead of that way? And then, you know, for the next, I don't know, it would be 10 years, right? Because up to today, I still continue to tweak things, you know, to, it's called biohacking um, is the term for it. If you were looking to find other people that are interested in that, you know, how can I, how can I like alter my experience of consciousness, alter my experience of reality, uh, through just the food that comes in, the activities that I do, the breathing exercises that I do, you know, all of these things exerting a control over my experience of reality. And, uh, obviously it didn't start out that complicated. You know, it was just like, I'm fat and I don't want to be fat because, uh, you know, I'm 16 and I want girls. So that was the base roots of it. And then it kind of grew into something way more, you know, just genuine passion and interest. And then uh, how can I, how can I give this to other people? You know, because when I would try to, when I would see results and people would want to know how I got, came about them and I'd start to try to tell them, it'd be very overwhelming. And to me, it makes sense and it's very simple, but to other people, it, it wasn't so much. It's like, wait, 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 you know, like, no, no, just tell me what to do. But you know, I'd have a problem. If I tell you what to do, you're not going to do it. You have to know why. But then you, the why was too complicated for him. So became this, this kind of idea in my head that if I could just, and I'm sure lots of people have had this idea that are in the fitness and nutrition gurus, but if I could just make it simple enough for people to get it, then, then they wouldn't need, you know, the fitness and nutrition gurus and, and they wouldn't need the, the miracle pills and, and all these other things. So like being able to train people physically and, uh, help them with their nutritional goals, right? Like that was, that was more of a passion thing. Uh, unfortunately, about a year ago, I fell off of a cliff, and so it kind of damaged my body some. So I'm not as able to do things as I was. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a little more pain. There's some just things that are kind of, I've lived a hard life. <laughs> so, uh, just some things are, you know, when you wake up every morning with pain, it's, it's real hard to get up and go train when, you, uh, when it takes you an hour to two hours to be able to just move kind of without pain. Um, and then it's like, that's a lot of your time being devoted to that. And if you're pursuing, you know, multiple passions or projects, then, um, 
yeah, it's also very discouraging, you know. So that that's something that I've kind of been reassessing, I guess, to a degree. Although it's not something I've given up on. It's just like I don't know how to pursue that any further until I can get my own body a hundred percent. Um, okay, so I have two follow-ups <laughs> after that last answer. Um, I'm going to start with number one, and I hope I should remember to get back to the... Uh, so number one is, how did you fall off a cliff, can I ask? <laughs> yeah, you can ask. Um, so I was in Hawaii with some friends on vacation, and uh, we had a great like four or five days, and then they left and went back like they were supposed to, and so I was kind of on my own. Um, I uh, drove around and went to this place called Waimea Beach, it's this public beach that has these cliff faces that have, uh, they're for rock climbing, you know? And I, I rock climb. I rock climb and do martial arts, uh, you know, body weight training, uh, mess around with gymnastics a little bit. So I do, do a lot. I love body weight movement, uh, activities. And so I was on this beach and, uh, I was supposed to go climbing with this guy that had been hooked up through a mutual friend that I had made on the island who owned a rock climbing gym. But he had to bail uh, for a reason I can't remember. You know, I'm, I'm sure it was a good one. And uh, so I end up on this beach um, because I, I, I really wanted to climb that day and, you know, be outdoors and everything. And, and these faces were only like 25, 30 feet, you know, so they're not that high. Uh, and there's sand underneath, you know. So I kind of thought, like, yeah, even if I fall, you know, I just fall 25, 30 feet on sand. You know, that's no big deal. Um, also the routes are real easy and I'm going to be safe, you know, and I'm a strong climber, you know, and I felt very, very strong. I was maybe as strong as I've ever been physically. So I was very confident. Um, also I started running up routes and I climbed four or five, you know, no problem. Easy. I climbed all of the, the cliff faces that were like on the shoreline, you know, and then kind of like thinking, all right, you know, I'm done. Decent workout. You know, it's fine. Nothing was really like challenging and I didn't really get that feeling that I like to get when I climb which there's this feeling of when you're doing something scary and you overcome it you know like that feeling of feeling fear and then overcoming it is, isn't it is addictive uh for anyone who's you know and it doesn't have to be physical right like open mic nights you know so you're if I'm, if I'm scared to perform or, or act in front of people and you do it anyway and you do a good job, right? That that feeling is is <laughs> that's that's my number one drug addiction, I would say. Uh, so I go around this corner, and it probably didn't hurt that there were like very attractive girls around, kind of watching, like, oh, you, you know. Uh, and I see this crack, and this part of the beach is kind of like shielded from the wind of the waves. It seems like uh, it's crumbly, right? Like it doesn't look well maintained. I can tell people don't climb it because I don't see chalk. Um, but I know it's a route cause I can see like, oh yeah, there's how you get up that. And there's also like a big other rock underneath it, right? So it's not sand at the base of it, it's rock at the base of it. And, you know, and I see it and it kind of, I feel, I feel I'm, it's a little scary, you know, and, uh, up to this point in my life and still really when things scare me, I feel almost like I have to do them because otherwise you're letting the fear dictate your behavior to you, which... <laughs> If you have a hard rule the other way, you're still letting the fear dictate your behavior to you. But that's not a thought that I had at the time. The thought I had at the time was, you know, fuck you, I'm going to go climb this. So I start climbing and, you know, everything's fine. And then I get to one move that's kind of sketchy that I can make. And I get past it and think like, I, I, I don't want to don climb 
now at this point because I don't know how I would reverse the movement I just made because it was a little bit it was a little awkward so I better I'm gonna have to finish it up to the top even though a part of me was like I should probably down climb you know because that was kind of sketchy uh, so I get up a little higher and then there's this big flake and I go to grab it and it's loose right so I can't use this big flake to get over the top which would be an easy way to get over the top so I get past it a little bit and now I am finished climbing, right? Like I can reach up over and feel the lip, right? But it's just sand and crumbly. And so there's nothing, I can't just grab it and pull myself over. And I'm kind of wedged sideways into this crack that runs like that, right? And I have a foot here in this wall and a foot here in that wall. And as I'm here thinking like, how am I gonna get over that? A foot just blows and I just started falling. <laughs> and then I landed on both feet and like compressed uh and you know i mean right away you know like that eh, something's wrong you know you're not you don't feel pain i think in those moments adrenaline's surging but i right away knew something had to be wrong so i started walking out onto the beach uh just trying to get like as close to my car as i could as fast as i could and i don't remember how far i made it maybe like a couple hundred feet and these people came running up to me and they were like are you okay I said, no, no, I'm not okay. Uh, and then they look real confused by that answer. You know, it, was, it wasn't panic. It was really, I said, no, no, I'm not okay. Um, you know, like, uh, they, so they just repeated the question, are, are you okay? And I sat down and I said, I'm not okay. Go, go get that lifeguard over there because it's a public beach and there's a lifeguard. And they're like, uh, wait, what? And I'm like, go get the lifeguard, you know? And they come over and they start inspecting me. And, you know, I'm telling them, like, listen, I just fell off. I'm fine. I just need someone to get me to my car so I can get to a hospital. <laughs> and they're like, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. You could have internal injuries or head trauma or this and that. And I'm like, I didn't hit my head. You know, I'm perfectly lucid. Uh, but my feet are really starting to hurt. <laughs> um, so does my wrist. Uh, so I, there's a, like a little bit of a back and forth, but the pain kind of started to grow to the point that like, I really can't fight anybody trying to do anything right now. Do what y'all got to do. And so they called an ambulance. They strapped me to a board. They put me in the back of the ambulance and they brought me to the hospital. And uh, I kept refusing like pain medicine. Um, I think because I was so furious with myself for climbing a cliff and then breaking both my feet. It was like, no, you deserve it. You should feel pain. <laughs> uh, but on the, the ride got so bumpy at one point, I let her give me a little something. Um, but it only, it was like only lasted for 10 minutes. So by the time I got back to the hospital, I was back in it. And then that voice had kind of gained strength almost of just like, you know, you suffer. Uh, so they bring me in and they clean me up and they x-ray me and they tell me there's three broken, broken bones in my left foot and there's two broken bones in my right foot and there's a broken bone in my wrist. And, uh, okay. And they, also, it looks like all the tendons in your left ankle might have exploded. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, and then um, it kind of just sat like that for a while. Um, just kind of, you know, because there's nothing to do after that if you get all that diagnosis. And I wasn't in the ER. I was in, you know, there's like a step down from that. And um, I don't know, remember exactly how much time had passed when I felt like I had sufficiently punished myself. But uh, at one point, I just couldn't really stand it any longer. And so I started asking, you know, for pain medicine. And of course, like, the moment you give into it, right, that's when it doubles or triples or quadruples. And so as soon as I, you know, 
kind of said, like, hey, I really don't want to feel this anymore. Can someone help me? Uh, the pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then for some reason, it had to go through, like, three people. So they didn't get me anything for, like, an hour after that. And then it felt like I had been real sufficiently punished by the time, you know, I got some, some pain medicine. Uh, and then, come, you know, if only I had known, uh, I, I could have been punishing myself even with the pain medicine because it didn't, it, it, it took the edge off, to, it like halved it, but, you know, I didn't sleep that night. <laughs> um, then the next day, uh, more x-rays. They tell me that the ligaments in my ankle actually aren't exploded, you know. So that's good. Um, but they're like, we're worried about how you're going to get around because we can't give you a wheelchair. You can't use your right hand. So you just be in circles. And they're like, I mean, I guess you can have crutches, uh, but you're going to have a hard time because, again, you can't use your right hand. And so that was how, you know, I ended up getting out of that hospital. I had a boot on either foot, you know, and a bottle full of Vicodin. And, like, I would have to, like, squeeze one crutch with my arm and then like I could use the other one and then make real slow progress you know wherever I was trying to get uh and then I had um uh, a friend that I had made there um like a few days before I just kind of hit her up like hey <laughs> I uh I need a ride from the hospital the hospital you know, what are you doing there you know follow the whole story uh, so I had been crashing on uh, a buddy's floor there in Hawaii, and I had another seven days before my flight left, you know, and I wasn't in any shape to get on a plane. So I had, you know, seven days in paradise to uh, binge watch Netflix and uh, kind of order takeout and uh, think, you know, do a lot of thinking um, about what had happened to me, uh, which... I don't, I don't know if that was good or bad for me that <laughs> I had all that time. Um, I found out too later that, uh, that broken bone in, in my wrist, um, also came with a torn ligament. So a few months after that, they had to repair that ligament. Um, so the, you can kind of see like the, right, it just doesn't bend as much as the other one does. Yeah, yeah no matter how I force it, especially like, that way yeah so i can't do a lot of the stuff i used to do like i used to be able to walk on my hands uh handsprings um like really cool crazy crawls and body weight movements and so can't do a ton of that anymore um you know without warming up the rest for like an hour first and, and even then it's not not so easy and then you know there's other stuff like the left ankle still never felt quite right and then feet just hurt sometimes it feels like the bones don't move quite as well and the right foot uh so, but that's kind of, I mean, that's a little bit more than you asked, but. Well, that's all right. We're, <laughs> we're looking for your story and it sounds like that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, in, in follow up to that story, yeah. uh, has that changed? I mean, I think you've answered this maybe, but how has that changed your outlook as a, as a former, maybe adrenaline junkie or, um, are you, do you still find yourself having those adrenaline urges or has it really changed, uh, that sort of pleasure center in your in your brain so it's hard to know because uh i haven't felt like i've had the ability to pursue those adrenaline surges you know um and there's also still a lot of self-recrimination kind of about the decisions that were made and so i think when something like that happens to you um you know, the worst damage isn't even really physical. 
it's it's kind of what it does to your personality because you have this idea of you know this life philosophy that you have um, and then it sort of fails uh, in this really dramatic way and so you start to kind of second guess any decision you might make and so you almost have to it's almost like you're starting over um, in a lot of ways so you know in some ways I don't even almost know who the, the new person that I am because of that is you know I know some things are the same and I know I still have a lot of the same friends and they still seem to enjoy my company just fine and so I know there's a lot of similarity and uh, I definitely do still have the same like drives and urges um, but not being able to act on them and not being able to be put in that situation uh, you know I have been outdoor climbing once since then and I did feel like fear a lot of fear and I did continue and overcome it anyway, but I didn't get the same rush kind of reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's mostly a function of the amount of pain. And so one of the things that I've really come to understand uh, since then, and, um, you know, I, I do try not to dwell on it, but you know, it is reality. And so you can't not uh, talk about it or acknowledge its existence or whatever, but pain changes everybody. Um, and I had always thought of myself as a very strong person and, uh, I think I still do, but you, I don't know there, you know, the philosophy of the Joker, which is like, we're all just one bad day away from becoming the Joker. Like that's his thing and that's his shtick. And that's what he's trying to do in like the killing joke of professional professor Gordon. That's what he's trying to do with Batman. You know, it's what he's trying to do with everybody. Basically is proof to everybody that everybody's like me, you know, you one bad day away. And, um, I would say to everybody, like whoever you think you are, you know, you live in constant pain for a year and that person erodes, that person erodes slowly over time. You know, it, it, it just, it can make the same events that are happening to you, right? Like you can be experiencing the same thing, you know, in pain or not in pain and have two totally different experiences. reality you know in one everything is kind of tinted darker you know and sinister and like little like pics from people you know like those are intentionally meant to tear you down and you know and and you can get more paranoid and and it just you know more defensive Um, and it's it's much harder to be happy it's much harder to uh, be motivated Um, it's much harder to get up out of bed and go run you know it's much harder to do to be enthusiastic about life you know, to the point where, like, you just don't want to go anywhere because you know, like, the, 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 from here, the A to B, right? It's going to be a painful experience. And so you start to weigh in, like, as before, like, of course I want to go walk down to that stage and, and, you know, hear that music playing at this festival. And now it's like, you know, is it my favorite band in the world? Oh, okay. No. The second favorite? A lot of pain from getting from here to there, you know? And you just, become more shut down and more reclusive and you harden your walls and and it's much harder to let people in whereas before you know it it wasn't so that's kind of the new reality for me is is trying to constantly be aware of that and so compensate for it and understand like these these feelings and emotions and decisions that i'm making like this experience of reality you know it's not really true to me uh everything is tinted right now because it's like i'm looking at life through glasses you know the glasses the tinted shades are pain so yeah. Cat just have to be aware of that and try to compensate for it. 
Well, I would say that you do a pretty good job, I think, compensating <laughs> for it. Because, yeah, I, I would not have known that you were going through such a, a difficult time or that it was so close just from starting to talk to you. When you told me you <laughs> fell off a cliff, I was like, wait, wait, wait. There's uh, yeah. so a lot of traumatic injuries, actually, in my life. So I feel like I've gotten real good at uh, getting through those. Um, this is just kind of the longest, you know, I've had my jaw, jaw wired shut for six weeks before eating through a straw, you know, that's hard. I've to blown my knee out twice, you know, like cracked rigs, uh, cracked ribs, broken my nose. Um, so I've had a lot of like things that have set me back, shut me down, forced me to live in pain for a period of time. This is just the longest, um, you know, going on uh, a year now of, and it's not literally every second of every day, you know half of the time every day you know i mean for sure pretty much when i wake up every day um so it, it's just as before i guess i got pretty good i think at dealing with acute pain and acute injuries and so now this kind of chronic thing that's just dragged out forever you know is is like okay I, i've dealt with this for six months before you know i've dealt with this for eight months before um you know so you start to get into like Am I going to be able to do this for the rest of my life? Uh, you know, and those those questions kind of set you back a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, what do you think there is any advice uh, a past self of yours could give your your current self that like a, a younger uh, version of yourself who had just gotten through a, a previous trauma? What do you think that person would tell yourself now? Um, Wait, wait, so an advice that a past self would give my present self? Let's say like, yeah, your brazen self who's just out of a, a recent trauma or a recent traumatic experience. Oh, it always seems like it's going to last forever when you're in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I tell myself that. I try to. But yeah, all bad things that are happening to you have to precede the good things that are going to happen to you, right? And so every human, I think, experiences these same really tight loops. And it's not to say that, you know, like you don't, change but it's almost like every human seems to be reliving the same stories over and over and over and over and over again archetypically with different details and so anytime you're in the middle of something awful that's happening to you whether it's a bad breakup or i don't know your parents are getting divorced or you broke your leg or you didn't get into college or you know anytime you're in this really dark spot you know like night comes before dawn and pain comes before pleasure and like depression and anxiety and that misery like that comes before happiness you know and, and when you're in it you know you, you it's hard to know that you're in a loop it's hard to understand that like you know this is just kind of the natural ebb and flow of life um, and even if nothing was wrong with me right and even if like it, i would still experience highs and lows you know like it, it it's it's just your low is deeper um <clears throat> your low is deeper right now there's a good chance your high will be higher uh and then just remember, like, everything's temporary. Like, even even pain like, is temporary. It just feels like it's going to last forever. So that's that's the advice that my past self gives my future, my present self, like, you know, daily, or tries to daily. I think uh, that's great advice. And I think that you have to come start a podcast. <laughs> we run all our time out, but your stories yeah. are very interesting. Thank and you. We appreciate you coming to talk to us. Let me ask one more question. Yeah. Uh, can you describe yourself in three words? Tenacious. Um, that, that first one was easy, but these other two are a lot harder. Uh, I would say tenacious. Um, 
hopeful. Um, and soft-hearted, <laughs> if that's kind of two words, but can we count it as one? I can. We'll hyphenate it. Yeah, soft-hearted. Tenacious, hopeful, and soft-hearted. Stephen, thanks again for coming to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to your podcast. Did you know that AOC Community Media has a free after-school program called Muse for students ages 12 through 18 every Monday from 4.30 p.m. to 6 p.m.? Participants will learn about television studio production, creating a podcast from start to finish, photography, media literacy, and much more. For registration and more information about our Muse program, visit the AOC website at aocinc.org. Produced by AOC Community Media. Contributors include Othello Andrews, Marie Bolden, A. Bowie, Lillian Dejon, Annette Diaz, Jill Boozy Ferguson, Nancy Judas, Joseph Cleason, William McFarlane, Matt Roberts, Stephen Skip Shannon, Christy Tracy, Jasmine Tillery, Jacob White, and Shahid Williams. Music in today's episode Luna's Little Friend, Ukulele Instrumental by Ivan Chu, Kyoshi Key by Nano, The Long Goodbye by John Pasden. ALC Community Media is located at the Rosa Parks Transportation Center, 101 Jefferson Street, Suite 100, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70501. For more information, go to our website at aocinc.org, call 337-232-4434, or email info at aocinc.org. Until next time, stay informed and engaged.